Greetings and welcome to Your Place on the River, a podcast brought to you by Carriage Kia of Woodstock, Georgia, featuring Chattahoochee Nature Center. I'm your host, Larry Stevens, a naturalist and general bon vivant here at Chattahoochee Nature Center, where our mission is to connect people with nature. The CNC is a private nonprofit 501c3 organization supported by our members and community at large like you. To learn more about Chattahoochee Nature Center, visit chatnaturecenter.org. Today we'll meet our Camp Kingfisher co-directors, Debbie Head and Laura Viator. Learn about mammals that make their homes on the Chattahoochee River, focus on a particular wildlife rehabilitation case, and share some Camp Kingfisher testimonials. First thing, let's find out about Chattahoochee Nature Center's Camp Kingfisher from its co-directors. Debbie Head declares Camp Kingfisher runs in her veins. When her parents moved to Georgia in 1989, they sent her to Camp Kingfisher, or Camp Chattahoochee as it was called back then, and she was hooked. That's the only place she ever wanted to be when summer came around. In 2003, she became a camp counselor. In 2008, she opened and developed canoe programming at our Heron Pond. And in 2011, Debbie made the jump to her year-round camp duties as camp coordinator and eventually director in 2016. Debbie is a Kennesaw State University graduate with a degree in health and human services. When she does take a break from Camp Kingfisher, she enjoys paddling, watching Bob's Burgers, laughing at anything silly, hiking, and spending time with her two pups, Indy Blue and Harper Roo. Laura Viator is a graduate of Georgia State University with a bachelor's degree in art history. She has worked as a member of AmeriCorps and for the Girl Scouts of America summer camps. She started here as a school programs naturalist and a camp travel program counselor. She began working full-time with Camp Kingfisher in 2019 as the camp coordinator and became the camp co-director in 2022. A certified interpretive guide, Laura's experience in adventure travel, ropes course instruction, lifeguarding, team building, and child behavior management. In her spare time, she loves to hike, go whitewater rafting, attend concerts, and spend time with her husband and boy-girl twins. Here to help us find out more about the camp these ladies love is our Liam McCarty. Thanks, Larry. Hello, everyone. This is Liam McCarty, and with me today, we have the CNC's camp directors, Debbie Head and Laura Viator. Thank you guys both for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. I'm happy for both of you to be on the show. Uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty details about uh, Kingfisher Camp, I'd love to hear more about you two. You two have been at the Nature Center for a few years now. Uh, what really drew you into the uh, camp program? So I started as a counselor, actually. I wanted a career change. I worked in a completely different field before. I was in the art field and I worked in museums and I wanted to get back out into nature. So I started looking around for jobs and found the Nature Center and just, you know, signed up to be a counselor and I never left. <laughs> and I like to tell our campers that I was born out of the crack in the gym floor because um, I have been with camp since 1989 when I was four. My family moved to Georgia and they decided we need to get her out of the house. We need to have her make friends. And I just never left. Every summer, the only place I wanted to be was Camp K. It was Camp Chattahoochee when I started. But then once it became Camp K, I just never left. That's awesome. You know, I've been to summer camp back home in Mississippi for about 10 years of my life. Uh, so I'm really excited to do this segment. And I can only speak highly to the experiences I had all throughout my formative years. But this isn't about me. Debbie, I'll start with you. What's the most rewarding part of this job? So I think for me, the most rewarding part of being a camp director is to see people grow and see the kids, the LITs, even the staff kind of grow into who they 
want to be, who they are meant to be, and just kind of see them take that path. Being at camp for as long as I have, I've seen kids who were our screech owls, so our five-year-old program kids, and now they're staff. And some of them have even graduated college. Some of them are in their own professional careers. And that is, to me, just the coolest thing ever. Incredible. Laura? Yeah, I think one of the most rewarding parts is just seeing that camp is a place for everybody. So we have so many different kinds of campers that come to camp with a lot of them present different challenges. They're looking to get something different out of coming to camp. And we talk about it all the time that camp is a place for everyone. So being able to see a child that may struggle in school, that might have trouble following certain rules, that can't walk in a straight line, that can't stop talking, you know, and and when that doesn't fly at school, we're okay with that here. We don't walk in lines, we walk in blogs, you know, like we... (laughs) We're, we're just a place for everybody, and it's really rewarding to see kids come alive here. That's awesome. I really resonate with that, especially the kids who talk too much, can't walk in a straight line, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. We're going to go to the other end of the spectrum in that case, starting with you again, Debbie. What's the most frustrating part? You guys get a lot of kids here, so I'm assuming it's kind of like herding cats. That is a good question. The most frustrating part of my job as a camp director, ugh. No, it's a tough one. It is. I feel like from a staff standpoint, as much as I love watching them grow and helping them grow, I think there is a disconnect between like the communication piece. And so getting staff to communicate during the off season is really challenging. And that makes me crazy sometimes just because you put so much into them just to get a simple response back is challenging. For for sure. I can imagine not being in person really affects that. Right. And then from the camper aspect, you know, honestly, there's not too much that is frustrating from the camper end because at the end of the day, they're kids. At the end of the day, they're learning and they're growing. You know, they're growing up is about making mistakes and learning from challenges and learning from failures. And so nothing from the camper end really frustrates me too much. We all have bad days and you know, you can't always mask behaviors. And as a kid, that's your time to not mask some behaviors, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Laura? I think one of the more frustrating aspects of being a camp director is kind of the uncertainty in the day-to-day. So we spend so much time planning and coming up with these programs and putting in a lot of work behind the scenes to to get it ready and to make it fun and exciting for these kids. And then the day comes and you've planned, you know, a field trip, you're, you've got kids at the pool and a thunderstorm hits and plans have to change. Or we don't have enough staff, so we can't actually end up running this program. So just the, the unknown elements within camp life can be extremely frustrating when you want to deliver a great program and a really exciting program and literally the universe just gets in your way sometimes. (laughs) The universe says no. Yeah, that's frustrating. Well, that's good to hear the most frustrating parts have nothing to do with the actual job, so that's great to hear from both of you. No, not at all. Stepping away from you guys for a bit, as far as the role of summer camp for these kids, what do you think the most important role for them is? I would say, like, what do they get most out of it, or? I'd say uh, probably what they get most out of it. I mean, every kid's going to be different, I'm sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the friendships that kids make when they come here is really really impactful. We've seen 
friendships form, you know, out of nothing. And, and a kid will come in the very first day of camp. They've never even been to camp before. And by the end of the day, by the end of, you know, by the time we get to lunch, they have three new best friends and they keep up with each other at school and they come back and they're so excited to see each other in the summer. I think that's one of the, the biggest things that camp can give kids is is just connecting with other kids, really. That's great. Thank you, Laura. Uh, Debbie? And I think that to kind of go off of that, that plays to staff as well. You know, we have a handful of staff members who have met their life partners through camp. You know, we have a couple that just recently got engaged here on CNC Grounds, which is kind of amazing. That's awesome, yeah. They met here at camp. They were camp counselors together, and he brought her here to propose because that was meaningful for them. So I think that's a pretty big piece for the staff. I think for the kids, you know, growing up, like I said before, it's about learning. It's about figuring out who you're supposed to be in the world. And I think camp is a great place for anybody to really be able to experience that. You know, since we've seen so many kids grow up at camp, you know, and we've had people come back like, oh, I'm a biochemical engineer now because of Camp Kingfisher, you know, like I'm a lawyer now because of Camp Kingfisher, like just the way that camp can really project people in their careers and in their lives is you know, you trick them into learning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like you said, we're, uh, you already touched on this, but for the kids, but also for the staff members as well. Mm-hmm. About Camp Kingfisher, what makes it different than other summer camps in Georgia or just the Southeast? Uh, Debbie. Um, You know, as cliche and maybe silly as it sounds, I've heard it time and time again. There is magic on this property. There's something about the CNC grounds. I don't know if it's the 127 acres. I don't know if it is, you know, the fact that we have currently older, very campy-esque buildings that just kind of plays to that magic. I think our staff, all camps strive to have a really great, phenomenal staff. Our staff tends to be a little bit older than some other camps, and I think that our staff really play into that piece of magic. Campers, one of our staff members currently remembers his camp counselor from when he was a screech owl, so when he was five or six years old, and brought him up in his interview multiple times. And then when the current staff member got his position this past summer, the older staff member actually sent him a video of like, hey man, you made it, good job, I'm so proud of you. And I think that that alone like, is just such a magical piece that A, the camper remembers the staff member, but that the staff member also remembers the former camper. And there's that give and take a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Laura? So I think the main thing that makes Camp Kingfisher different than other summer camps is we we really talk so much about getting kids back out into nature. So we've seen, especially since COVID, the fact that kids could be lacking certain skills, right? They have gone to school a lot of time, you know, through a computer, or they're lacking those, um, you know, social skills to just be able to make a friend. Coming to camp and getting them outside is, I think, the key component of our camp and what makes us special is we want to get outside as much as possible. If it's safe, like if it's not, you know, storming, (laughs) no thunder and lightning, we're going to be outside as much as we can, even if it's raining, you know, and we just get kids back to being a kid. There's no technology involved. You're going to go canoeing. You're going to do archery. You're going to go swimming. You're going to go hiking. Just getting them back to those, those basic elements of life, I think, 
makes us really, really special. Absolutely. And uh, Debbie, you mentioned it a, a little beforehand of the magic of camp, and I couldn't agree more. I'm just walking into the gymnasium in Kingfisher Hall. It just feels like, oh, I'm about to go like hiking or walking or swimming. <laughs> I'm so excited. But if you just want to talk a little bit more about that magic, uh, either one of you, Debbie, Laura? I think the magic... Every aspect, of whether it's a staff person, you know, the posters that we hang up on the wall, the programs that we're planning, it all goes into that magic. And it's, I think it all boils down to just a sense of belonging. So a kid can come to camp and not love nature. Maybe their parents made them come. They needed something for them to do in the summertime to get out of the house, but they love archery. Or they're really into science and they want to learn what makes up a cloud. You know, like there is an aspect here for everybody. And to see kids find that and be excited to, like Debbie said, we're tricking them into learning. Like being (laughs) excited to learn something new or explore something new. Just being able to see that happen right in front of you is pretty incredible. And that's I think that's what I attest or that's what I would call that that camp magic. I believe it, Laura. Debbie? I think, too, part of that magic really plays into come as you are and come as who you are. You know, if you're walking into a camp and you feel like you have to portray this certain person, like I feel like that's school, you know, Mm -hmm. that you have to be this whatever but at camp k and hopefully most other camps you just bring your authentic self and that's that's perfect that is just what we want you know and so i think every person that walks through that door adds to that magic so it's not a magic that is just within laura and myself it's not a magic that's just within our seasonal staff it's a magic that is created by everybody in the space. It's like a big ensemble. Yeah, I love exactly. That. Like it's not just our, sure. our facilities or being outside or you guys, the kids themselves, all of it. It's everything. Before we uh, end the session, I really just want to talk to you guys about favorite memories, fun experiences, fun stories. Laura, why don't you go ahead? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I will say hands down, one of my, my favorite job, and I've had a lot of jobs in my life, has been being a a counselor here. I specifically was the travel program counselor. So I got to take kids all throughout the Southeast and do all different kinds of experiences. So I think going caving, we went, um, we went caving a couple of times, being able to do that, taking 20 kids through the Nanahala Gorge was a big one. That was challenging. It ended up taking us a long time. Um, but just being able to like, and, and I was, a, I was leading. So I was in the front and I had 20 teenagers behind me and then three more staff members, you know, kind of sprinkled throughout. So all of us just marching through the, the gorge floor was pretty incredible. And, and just where else are you going to have that kind of experience except at a, a camp, you know, like when are you going to hike through a, a gorge with, with 20 other people? It's pretty incredible. It really is. Debbie? I think one of my most favorite recent memories at camp happened this past summer when we had a torrential downpour. And like Laura said, if it's not lightning and thundering, we're outside. So the kids, you know, were outside. They'd come inside for a while, but they went back outside and our meadow was mud, Mm. like just straight mud. And a couple of our um, screech owls, our rising kindergarten first graders, 
full on laid down in the mud and made mud angels. <laughs> so think snow angels times mud. <laughs> and when we would deliver them to the cars, we were like, you might need a bath tonight. Have sorry. fun. So sorry. <laughs> um, so from a, a camper standpoint, that definitely sticks out really high in my head. I mean, there's so many. I would say one shared one that you and I have might have been from this past summer. It just kind of dawned on me. We had, um, it was actually a camper conflict. So it was two campers that were upset with each other. You know, I won't go into detail as to why, but the amount of... Compassion. (laughs) Compassion, maturity, grace that this one camper gave another camper. Social intelligence. It was... I mean, like, and this is going to sound cliche. It was absolutely remarkable. And the counselors, um, you know, once we had finished talking with these campers and they had talked to each other um, and everything was resolved, the counselor took the kids back to the group, myself, Debbie, and at that point, our supervisor, Tamara, we all broke down crying. It was absolutely magical it just really to was. see the, the maturity in these kids. And I think there are, what, seven they were eight? yeah seven eight so second and, third grade. I mean, just seeing them navigate this conflict better than most adults. most adults I know. <laughs> it was incredible. That I think that's a memory that'll stick with both of us for a long time. For sure, for sure. And where else would you see that? But <laughs> right, exactly. Right. And like the ability to apologize too. You know, like in a disagreement, most times both parties feel like they're not at fault, right? And for one party to be like hey, man, I'm really sorry about X, Y, Z. Like, even if that person, you know, wasn't an instigator or wasn't at fault, is just like, when's the last time you apologized for something? You know, <laughs> like, it's hard to do as a 30-whatever-year-old, and, and these kids are eight. That's a, just a lot of maturity packed into a tiny little bundle. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> Very impressive. Yeah. Well, uh, I remember... I still remember my camp counselor from when I was maybe like 10 years old. So just hearing you guys talk about that specifically is incredible. And just from talking with you guys for a few minutes here, I know there are going to be a bunch of kids that remember you two just like that. (laughs) I Uh, hope so. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's our time. But thank you both so much for talking with us and sharing your stories. Yeah, thank Thank you. you. We're happy to be here. Back to you, Larry. Thank you, Debbie, Laura, and Liam. My grandchildren are Camp K campers, and I can vouch for the many activities they enjoy and the delightful nature-related crafts they make. And remember, Camp Kingfisher is not just for summers, but offers a winter school break session as well. Do check our CNC website for camp dates and registration information. Now let's turn to Mark Gialanella, our Education Program Supervisor and Chattahoochee River Guru. He and I chatted recently about what mammals we can find along our river. Okay, Mark, first thing... I know this from teaching the Scout Mammal Merit Badge here, but let's do a quick refresher course. Remind our listeners just what mammals are and what makes them unique. Sure. Well, I'm glad you have been able to teach that class here at the Nature Center, Larry. Thanks for being such a great Merit Badge counselor. So when we talk about mammals, you know, we're talking about a very unique group of of animals like you mentioned. Mammals are what they call um, endothermic, or you may have heard them as being called warm-blooded, which means that they can regulate their own body temperature. Mammals also give live birth, except for a a few exceptions, like echidnas or the platypus. Mammals also uh, drink milk from their mothers, and they have fur. 
Well, what are some mammals commonly found here on the Chattahoochee River? Well, there's uh, several mammals that are commonly found here on the Chattahoochee River. The beaver is one of the most prominent ones that we talk about and that we sometimes get to see on our river trips. We also have river otters, muskrats, raccoons, so quite a variety. And there's even more than that. And why do mammals thrive on the river? Well, on the Chattahoochee River, there's the habitat for them to have very good homes. There's the uh, availability of food. There's, as we said, um, shelter with their homes, but also being able to you know, hide and disguise themselves in the brush along the shore. So between all of those things along the river, it just makes for a great overall habitat for mammals to thrive. Hmm. What kind of evidence of mammals like beaver or mink or river otters or raccoons can one find along the river in its wetlands? Sure. Uh, well, you mentioned the wetlands. The wetlands are a great place for all of those animals. The beavers especially, uh, you'll see where the beaver will chew uh, wood. They will chew down wood to uh, help make their little lodges. They'll also make wetlands by chewing down some of that wood, which actually creates wetlands in some ways. It moves the flow of water, and beavers actually are the creators of wetlands by doing that, by chewing down the wood and moving those those sticks into position. That's also their food source. They like the lining of the between the bark and the hardwood of, of the sticks, and they chew, too, to help file down their teeth. Those two front teeth, which are a hard enamel that makes it look orange, uh, actually never stop growing. And so those uh, the chewing on the bark actually helps them file down their teeth, just like you would cut your own uh, fingernails. Beavers in this area really enjoy making their homes in the banks of the river. We don't really see big beaver dams like you would in other areas of the country because the riverside of the shoreline is supportive enough with its soil and the clay that we have here to make those holes where the beavers can actually go right into the side of the river shoreline. Huh. Yeah, I know when I've canoed on the Chattahoochee, I've sometimes spotted beaver, and that's always a treat. Yes, yes. Sometimes we do see the beavers out there on our canoe trips. It's always a treat to see a beaver. Sometimes you'll, you'll see them swimming along the shore, and sometimes they may even slap their tail while they're on the, on the water, and that's always a, a special treat. It's, re- it's really loud. And why do they slap their tails? Well, that's what I'm glad you asked. So they slap their <laughs> tails because, you know, they're either, like, letting other beavers in the area know that we're there, or they're just saying, you know, stay away, this is my area. So we don't want to get too close to the beaver. Uh, we let them have their distance from us, but they do slap their tails out there on the water. Yeah, tell us some more about beavers. I mean, they've had an interesting history in North America. Sure. Well, the beaver, uh, as I've said, you know, not just their history, because of they are a, a large rodent, they're actually the largest rodent in North America. And uh, because of that, they can grow to a length of three to four feet and weigh 30 to 70 pounds. But because of their size, they do have a very high quality fur that was prized uh, many years ago by fur trappers. And those fur trappers would trap the beaver. And many years ago, they would actually make hats out of the beaver pelts, and they were uh, considered a high fashion over in Europe. Uh, So the beaver was actually almost trapped into extinction. But since then, it's actually 
come back and made a thriving comeback. Can folks ever see a beaver here at the CNC? Actually, yes. Not only would they maybe happen to see one swimming up and down the river if they were on our river boardwalk, we actually have a beaver of our own here that they can visit. Now, our beaver is a female beaver who actually came to us in 2016 uh, from Virginia after being orphaned uh, from a flood. Hmm. And so she's just out on display on the campus here? Well, our wildlife staff um, take care of our beaver, uh, but you can come to the center and uh, on the wildlife walk, we do have a beaver enclosure where visitors can, can see the beaver. Another animal I've seen on the river and similar to a beaver is the muskrat. Uh, I know they're a little different, but what can you tell us about muskrats? Well, the uh, the muskrat, you know, they are going to be a little bit, like you said, a little bit different from the, the beaver. They like to actually build, actually build their own homes, which are going to be a little bit different from the beaver home. They have mainly, their homes are going to consist more of plants and maybe some, some cattails. And they're going to be more found in like some marshy areas than maybe more along like the main river channel. But they, uh, as you said, they are a little different. They're going to swim mostly with those, those webbed feet of theirs. Their tail is a little bit longer and more slender. They don't have that big kind of um, flat, fat tail like the beaver would have. The muskrat's also a little bit smaller. They're maybe only about like 16 inches to 24 inches long, a little bit, like I said, flatter, brown, lighter on the sides, and a softer and paler color. And while they may not be quite so associated with the rivers, beavers, and otters, I have seen white-tailed deer along the river, and even over in our wetland. Do you consider them Chattahoochee River mammals? Uh, yes, you know, they are very prominent up along the, and down the river. I mean, there's a lot of area along the river that's protected and still forested, wetlands of that nature. So those make great places for the deer to spend their, their days up along the river, a lot of vegetation for their food. And occasionally, you'll actually see them crossing the river. Uh, they tend to do that early in the morning or later in the evening. So that's always, like I said, some of those real treats you can see on the river are seeing those deer cross the river. All the more reason to come spend time at the Chattahoochee Nature Center and connecting with nature, right? That's exactly right. Exactly right. For sure. And uh, well, I also just want to mention one other uh, mammal. I don't know that we had, you had mentioned it briefly, but the, um, the river otter. Mm. The river otter is another uh, unique mammal that lives here on the river. They are fairly large. They're bigger than most people think, but they are actually going to be the most active during the daytime, and they're very good swimmers. They like to be in, in those wetland habitats as well, and uh, they have the very thick insulating fur too. But they are going to be a bit smaller than the beavers, but they also take advantage of the banks and have their nests or dens in there, which are going to be more sticks, grass, and, and roots. Unlike some of those other animals we mentioned, river otters are going to be carnivores, which mainly fe and they're going to mainly feed on fish and maybe some smaller mammals, like little scurrying mice or things like that. Oh, all right. Yeah, I've seen evidence of, of the otters on our boardwalk out there in the wetland. They've left calling cards. <laughs> Yes, yes. Occasionally, you know, I would say if you get to spot a river otter out there on the boardwalk or out in the wetlands, that's a real treat. I've only 
seen a river otter out there once or twice, but there's plenty of evidence that they're there. <laughs> okay, good. All righty. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate you taking the time and giving us our mammal update on the river here. Great. Thanks for having me. Let's hear now from another of our regulars, our wildlife department's Jeremy Maniaponda. He's going to tell us about one particular rehabilitation case, what occurred, why, and what people can learn to help. For this episode, I'll be discussing one of our rehab cases, some of our concerns and techniques, as well as some take-home information that everybody can use. Today we'll be discussing rehab case number 23-0068, which happens to be an eastern box turtle. Like virtually all of our rehab cases, when we are brought animals, they are typically not in their ideal condition. However, this case has some interesting context and treatment necessities. First off, though, let's discuss this species. The eastern box turtle, or scientifically Terrapine carolina carolina, is one of the many protected species here in Georgia, as we have discussed in our last episode. Although similarly appearing and acting to tortoises, they are actually true turtles, and are actually more closely related to native aquatic turtles such as the yellow-belly slider than to true tortoises such as gopher tortoises. The eastern box turtle is not considered an endangered species on the national level. However, some states, including Michigan, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Connecticut, list the animals as a species of special concern, and Maine actually has the turtle listed as endangered. Habitat loss, traffic incidents, and collection for the pet trade are all factors contributing to its decline, which leads to it being very prone to exploitation. The Georgia Department of Natural Resources requires a special license and permit for possession of this animal, which we have here at CNC, regardless of its morphology or origin. Practically, they are not an uncommon sight here in Georgia, though, oftentimes found in many urban and woodland areas. In fact, I'd venture to say that most people have seen these turtles in most likely one of their most vulnerable states, crossing the road. However, a second place of human interactions with these animals is precisely what happened with this specific case. In sometime late fall, or sometime in early spring, hatchling box turtles will emerge from the ground. This is a very unusually long span for when the hatchlings may be found, but there's a very interesting reason for it. Eggs are typically laid in the spring in a shallow cavity dug in the ground, and after an incubation of about three months or so, the eggs will hatch. However, depending on the environmental conditions, the hatchlings may instinctually and metabolically do one of two things. First, they may emerge, climbing through the ground soil and leaf litter to the surface. Typically, they will still have a yolk sac attached and will not need to eat for a few days. However, if environmental conditions don't merit it, they may remain submerged in the soil and leaf litter until the spring, when the conditions are better. They enter a condition known as brumation, which is slowing down the biological activities while remaining submerged underground. It is very similar to mammalian hibernation, although it's not absolutely identical. This becomes a frequent source of a human interaction as people are often raking their yards of fallen autumn leaves and tree debris and uncover hatchling turtles in this state of brumation. Nonetheless, once emerging from the ground, they will absorb their yolk sac and then start their lives without any parental care. This life history played a critical role in how Eastern Box Turtle 23-0068 came into our care. This hatchling box turtle emerged from the ground and was likely seen by someone in their yard or common area. And with the best intentions, the turtle was taken and kept as a pet for fear it needed care or was just a juvenile. As stated earlier, not only is this action not legally permitted, but as we discussed, it's often counterproductive and can cause harm to that animal. All vertebrates use vitamin D to properly calcify their skeletons, amongst other things. In that, the most common source of this vitamin D is from metabolism from ultraviolet light being synthesized in the skin. 
This is generally true of a large number of animals, including humans. Hence, people living in areas with significantly reduced daylight, such as Arctic locations, oftentimes need to take supplemental vitamin D to prevent bone deformities, such as rickets. Reptiles are typically no different. While all reptiles do not synthesize vitamin D in this manner, eastern box turtles do. They need the specific ultraviolet spectrum of sunlight to properly grow and maintain their bones and skeletons. This includes their shell, which is a highly adapted skeleton, including the ribs and spine. Turtles are, in fact, their shell. They don't just live within it. Where this information comes into play is when turtles are kept in captivity. Once kept indoors, under typical household lighting and heating, they do not get proper exposure to ultraviolet light and cannot synthesize vitamin D appropriately. This, in conjunction with unnatural and often inappropriate diets, out of protein balance, can cause the skeletons and shells to grow abnormally and unnaturally. This goes well beyond aesthetics, unfortunately. Being the shells is an actual skeleton which contains the organs, it can often impair their internal organ development and function. The limbs can deform, disabling the ability to walk properly, wear their nails properly. The beaks and skulls can deform, causing massive overgrowths of the mouth which prevent eating properly. It is a generalized condition in reptiles known as metabolic bone disease, or MBD. The disturbing part of MBD is that the deformation that has already occurred cannot be reversed. It will afflict the animal for the rest of its life. We can only correct the husbandry issues so that future growth is typical. Getting back to case 23-0068, this is sadly what happened. While in the original finder's care, the shell had started to grow unnaturally. However, fortunately, the time under these conditions was not intensive and the deformation was mild. One problematic issue we did find, though, was due to the anomalous shell growth which has created a flattened top on the part of the shell. If upended, this turtle cannot right itself. Normally, box turtles have a discrete yet functional ridge on the top of their shell, which, if turned upside down, pivots them to the side to help them right themselves. Without this, a turtle left upside down cannot right itself and can exhaust and die from numerous issues relatively quickly. So for case 23-0068, we have corrected the husbandry, offered it a balanced diet to grow properly, specialized UV-producing lights to enable the animal to effectively synthesize vitamin D for proper bone health, and we hope that she can grow and minimize the existing deformities enough to cancel these anomalies and allow release. Should this be achieved, we have another consideration in our hands. Box turtles have a home range, which they stay in for their whole lives. They use a principle called geomagnetism and homeward orientation to use the Earth's magnetic fields to allow them to stay within their home range. If we do not release these animals back into that range, they will exhaustively try to get back home at great peril to themselves. So how can everyone apply this information in this case to their own lives and actions? First and foremost, please consider that wild animals are not free pets. There are very many avenues for pet owners to acquire healthy captive animals if they desire. Please do your research as specialized care and equipment is almost always required. Wild animals should not be taken for this purpose. In the event someone does find an animal they do believe needs help, please immediately contact a wildlife rehabilitator. Very often, juveniles do not need assistance. It is, of course, applaudable and understandable that we want to help them, but often, they simply just do not need it. And interference can only hurt their chances at survival. Should the animal seem genuinely injured or in dire straits, a licensed rehabilitator will be able to properly assess it, enact a treatment plan, and hopefully resolve whatever concerns exist. This is often the best chance at recovery for these animals. 
Here at Chattahoochee Nature Center, our wildlife staff is working every single day until 4 p.m., and all the wildlife rehabilitation cases within our purview are accepted free of cost. Please contact us at 770-992-2055 at extension 239 to get in touch with us. Thank you, Jeremy. And finally, let's have a few people share with you their Camp Kingfisher experiences. Hey, back again. My name is Laura. I am one of the co-camp directors here at Camp Kingfisher, and I am here to ask some of our campers that have been coming here for a couple of years uh, about their favorite experiences here and what they love about camp. My name is Sadie, and I'm eight years old. And how long have you been coming to camp? Um, like four years, I think. If you had to pick one thing, what's your favorite thing about Camp K? Um, doing the arts and crafts. Why arts and crafts? Because I love crafting. Have you done any crafts that you remember that were your favorites? Stick people. Yeah, that's a good one. What about any counselors that you remember that you really liked? Miss Claire. Why did you like Miss Claire so much? Because I just, I can't really remember. You just liked her? Yeah, she, she really helped me with when I got when I was having a hard time. Yeah? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? What kind of hard time were you having? And how did Miss Claire help you? I mean, one time someone was being a little mean to me and she told them to stop. Yeah, counselors are good at that, huh? Nice. What about canoeing? Do you like canoeing? Mm-hmm. Yeah? It's really fun. It's also sometimes a little scary because one time someone wobbled the boat and I felt like I was going to fall off. It would be really scary, maybe if you fell in. But you're wearing a PFD, so you're okay, right? Hi, I'm Oliver, and I like going to Camp Kingfisher <laughs> because I like playing... Well, there's a game that I like to play in, and it's actually very new, and it's called Catch the Eagle. What's Catch the Eagle? So, like, there's a bowl, and the counselor, like, throws it, and you gotta try to catch it. It's sort of like moss, but it just has a different name. Hmm. I've never heard of that one. Did your counselor make it up, or did you guys make it up? Um, we wanted a new game, and our counselor agreed. So, so we, so and so, and me and my friend decided that that it should be Moss, and every so, and the counselor agreed, and she made the the name Catch the Eagle. I don't know why, but she just named it that. Do you think that's a good name? Uh-huh. That's a pretty good name. Do you remember the counselor uh, that you did yeah. the game with? Um, it was Mr. Cole. Mr. Cole is fun. Yeah. We, like, we like Mr. Cole. My name is Stephanie, and I am the parent and the mother of Claire. And Claire has been going to Chattahoochee Nature Center Camp for over two years now. We've gone two summers and she signed up for her third summer for 2024. And then she's also taken advantage of some of the winter camps, which she loves as well. So Claire, you always love coming to camp. So what's your favorite thing about camp? I like meeting new friends like Grayson, Marshall. I also really like doing uh, some crafts. I like going on hikes. Mm. What's your favorite game that you guys play? Captain's Coming, Turtle Soccer. What about Gaga Ball? 
Gaga Ball, Archery. It's really fun here. I like a lot of friends. Staff are good. Bosses are good. Do you remember any of your favorite counselors? Miss Claire, Miss, Mr. Cool, Miss Abby, Mr. Jason at Archery. What about the animals, Claire? Oh, yeah. Uh, they're really nice. They're also really cool to see, especially the snakes. Today we had a snake demo, and it was an obino snake, but it got kept as a, like, a pet, which is illegal, and it, like, grew some bones wrong, and, well, we got to see it. And then we also got to see a pretty new raptor, large raptor, today, and when they were trying to leave, the bird went, like, his wings flapped everywhere. Uh, we're Corey and Amy, and we've been members for years now, and when our daughter Ellie became old enough to attend camp, we did summer camp at first, and she absolutely loves it, and we come back for any break of school, summer, winter, anything. Our daughter's been going to camp for about three years now. She's happiest when she comes home from Nature Center Camp. I think kids crave to be outside, whether they realize it or not, and even if that's just in their backyard or whatever. But when she goes to Nature Center Camp, the days she comes home are the days she's happiest compared to any other daycare or camp that we ever send her to. Can you tell me one thing that made you happy at camp today? I have made a lot of friends. What friends have you made? Do you know their names? Nina, Vivi, Clea, that's all. Sure. Did you meet any animals today? Mm-hmm. Um, we went on the Avery hike, and we saw a large raptor, Ooh. which was a bond owl. Can you name all the animals you've seen at camp? There's been turtles, there's been possums, what all? There's been snakes, there's been lots of owls, there's been hawks, there's been rocket boats. And do any of those animals have names? No, because they're wild. Hi, I'm Claire. I am a head counselor here at Camp Kingfisher, and I've been working here for the past three years. And it's been one of the most rewarding jobs that I think I will ever have in my life. And I've loved working here every second and every summer. Um, I think it's really great that Camp K introduces kids to nature, especially at such a young age, and it gets them really interactive and engaged in a way that gets them connected to the environment and just really caring about conservation. It's actually inspired me to pursue a career in environmental education, and I think I want that's something that I want to do after I graduate college, and I'm really, really excited to do it, and I think that the people that I've had the chance to interact with over the years have really um, inspired me to go along that route, and I'm just really happy to be a part of it and very grateful for everybody that I've met along the way, so it's been a great experience. My name is Jason. I am currently on staff. I've been here for two and a half years, but I was a camper before that. I went from like four years old all the way up through high school. I loved it at camp, so I came back. What do you like about working here? I love working here. I love the people. I love the kids. It's such a fun atmosphere. Everything about it is so freeing, and you can do whatever you want, and it's just a lot of fun and easygoing, and everyone around is fantastic. It definitely helped me practice. I already wanted to be a teacher, so this was like the perfect opportunity for me. It was great practice to be with the kids all day, every day, five days a week, and it's just fantastic being around the age group I want to be around. 
at school right now, I am with other kids, like other age groups. So being here at camp is just a great opportunity for that. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to Your Place on the River, brought to you by Carriage Kia of Woodstock, Georgia, featuring Chattahoochee Nature Center, where our mission is to connect people with nature. Remember, to learn more at any time about Chattahoochee Nature Center and what's happening here, please visit chatnaturecenter.org. That's C-H-A-T-T, naturecenter.org. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group, all rights reserved.